Yeah. And it was it was really it was really crazy because the person that had told me this, they're they're Christian and their child thought that they were going to be against them, and so their child mm. moved away and transitioned, and then came back and said five years later or three years later and said, "Hey, mom." I transitioned, so she got as a parent. She missed that opportunity to be there for her child, and so mm -hmm. it really created a strong bond between us. Where we kind of, she kind of became like my adoptive trans mom, and yeah. um, was very supportive in my life. And yeah, that day saved my. That was my guest on today's show, uh, Zane Silva. He is the founder of Transalike.com, a platform he created to be an advocate for the trans community and provide support and mentorship in the LGBTQ community. So uh, stay tuned. This is part one of a very fascinating journey in Zane's life. Relationships and You, hosted by Toby Jenkins, a licensed marriage and family therapist serving Central Kentucky. Each week, Toby will bring you a show with a topic related to mental health, relationships, or self-improvement. The name of the show, Paradigm, comes from that moment in the therapy process when a profound shift in perspective happens for a client. An epiphany, sometimes accompanied by physical reaction that leads them to look at things differently and make significant steps towards improving and enriching their lives. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins, and today I'm joined by Zane Silva. He is the founder of transalike.com uh, and an advocate for human rights, a public speaker, coach, and mentor for transgender people. Welcome to the show, Zane. We have a bunch of stuff to get to. I'm so glad you could join me today. I'm so glad that you're having me today and, and uh, bringing light to these topics. So thank you so much for having me on the platform. Super, super, super. Um, so, you know, uh, let's just start with... Um, Let's start from the beginning. Um, yeah. <laughs> so give us a little background about you, um, your, like where you're born, um, sure. your realization that um, something may be different from how you present versus how you feel. Um, yeah, we'll just start there. Yeah, so uh, my name is Zane. My pronouns are he, him, they, theirs. I am a Brooklyn native. I was born and raised in East New York in Brooklyn, which is uh, known as one of the most dangerous or most hood uh, area that you can find in Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, I grew up with my family. I have uh, four siblings and uh, my parents. We, growing up, I was in an extremely uh, religious household. My family, um, is very heavily integrated into the Christian faith uh, in Pentecostal denominations specifically, uh, which they pastor different churches. Um, they're all ministers. I'd probably say uh, probably about like my, just me and my siblings are the only folks that aren't uh, 
ministers or ordained pastors within my families on both sides. How did you escape so, that? <laughs> they, they, <laughs> How did you escape um, that? I know it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was it was definitely not. It, there was no escape from <laughs> from mm. my family. They are definitely a force that is strong and planted in uh, in Christ. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it it was something that I think escaping it for me would have uh, had a negative effect. I think being around them and um, seeing their level of faith or or what dedication meant to them, what salvation meant to them, um, what carrying the cross meant to them, what is a hu- has been a huge impact in my life and uh, has definitely directed my relationship with God. Um, so it was so during my growing up, it was very difficult. Uh, trying to understand how I identified with my sexual orientation, how I identified with my gender identity, my gender expression. Um, I have three sisters, so mostly girls in my family. Uh, I was the youngest daughter and um, my, you know, my family treated me as so, as the youngest daughter. I uh, was the loudest. I was the I would say like the rebel, the black sheep. I always um, was speaking out about anything, regardless of what I thought. And, um, always questioning my my family and their decisions, uh, and not in a malicious way, but more in a like um, I'm trying to educate myself kind of way. And uh-huh. so let, let's break that down um, a little bit. Um, you threw out some yeah. terms I think that often get confused: mm-hmm. uh, gender identity, sexual yes. orientation, sexual yes. identity. So um, yeah, let's let's break those down so that we have so everyone yeah. understands <laughs> them um, because they often get conflated and confused. Yeah. So let's start with yes. well, gender identity, and you 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 labeled you labeled yourself as the fourth daughter. So yeah, gender identity. When well, let's talk about what it is and how you wrestled with it. So gender identity is is how you see yourself uh, in the mirror. If you can wake up and you can look at yourself and you're like, okay, I am a male. There's no question about that. I'm a man. Or you look at yourself and you say, I am a female, I'm a woman. And there's no question about that. That gender is that validation that you have within yourself that this is who I identify as. There are no questions. Um, nothing, nothing will change that identity. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way I can explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and from an academic standpoint, uh, actually, with a lot of these terms, culturally, we tend to think of them in extreme opposites and binary terms. You're yes. either female or actually yeah. you're either man or woman. When we talk gender, it's about yeah. about what you express outwardly, which is different than your sexual identity. So gender yes. identity is the social constructed part of it. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, how you identify. Yeah. So then from an, from an identity standpoint, how early, um, did you start identifying as a girl? I, I, I definitely as a, sorry, I got that backwards. No, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Um, I did, I started, I mean, I, and, and that's also part of it. Like I did identify as a, as a woman, most of my life, I came, I came to understand the term transgender when I was about 19 years old. So that was the first I had even heard of that uh, identity. And when I 
part of it, it took me about a year to um, understand that any conflicts I had when I was younger um, were, were me saying that I was trans. Um, I just didn't know what it was called or, or why I was thinking mm-hmm. in the way that I was thinking. Wow. Um, so 19. So 19. at 19. So from birth to 19, you identified as a woman as a woman and um it was it was more my it was more my sexual orientation that was that was leading me to understanding my gender identity a little bit saying like i don't understand why i feel this way or um i don't know why i feel this way but yeah it was it was from nine up until 19 i was i identified as a woman all right so then the next term we should probably break down is sexual orientation um I can give you an academic definition, but how would you define yeah. sexual orientation? Sexual orientation is who I would be romantic with. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean who I will do uh, physical activities with mm-hmm. or sexual activities, but it means who am I romantically attracted to, who I could fall in love with. Um, and my sexual identity or sexual orientation is that I'm pansexual. So I could fall in, that means that I include every identity and that that's kind of me allowing space for whomever I'm with to have the freedom to come out as anything. So I would say I am pansexual. Pansexual. <laughs> right. And so, uh, so from a sexual orientation standpoint, our culture also tends to think of that in very binary terms. Actually, we're predominantly a heteronormative culture. So we assume that everyone is heterosexual and that that too are on extremes. But um, so pansexual is um, I think you describe it perfectly. It's open to any gender presentation, sexual presentation, um, right? Gender identity. Good. Identity. Um, you know, I, I often in, in my class we we talk about how, uh, at least historically, we have um, treated anything that's not heterosexual as deviant. And from a mental yeah. health standpoint. Um, uh, homosexuality or anything other than heterosexuality has been treated as an illness. Uh, I think it was in the DSM yeah. up until 1990, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so I'm always interested in the research and the science of it. And, you know, the, the science of it is that um, both of these are not binary. Um, every, a lot, all of these yeah, things not. we're talking about are on a spectrum. Uh, yeah. But there's a whole lot of hetero pressure <laughs> in our society for everyone to conform. So, yeah. um, so one of the key things, especially from from the research on uh, LGBT LGBTQ teens in particular, is that their family is probably is the most important factor in their overall well being. Yeah. So, um, yeah. it sounds like your family was really supportive all along. Um, no, my family was no. not supportive. That's always a mistake. Yeah, I think it's because ah. of the way I say it. And uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, people. No, my family was not supportive. Um, they, I would say that they just came around being supportive. Um, I, I would say like this year, like I would say last year to this year. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Because yeah. you know, I was putting, I was thinking Pentecostal. That's pretty conservative. They usually yeah, no, don't play around. They, no, <laughs> it's, it's definitely conservative. It definitely was a learning curve. Um, uh, identifying as, uh, you know, as a woman, and I and I was on a path towards ministry. So, um, in my family, that was a big thing, as my family owns the church or pastors a church that I was attending. 
um, and me being, you know, pastor's family, you just, you just are, you know, uh, the spotlight of everything. So, um, yeah, it was, it was extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. Um, but it, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely beneficial at the end for me, for my personal journey. Yeah. The trials that, yeah. Um, you know, just from, um, and it's, it's, it's hard to get at this data, but, um, outcomes for LGBTQ teens whose families are not supportive are generally much worse. Um, and, uh, they're nine times more likely to, uh, commit suicide, higher rates of becoming homeless because, um, you know, I'm in Kentucky, you're in, they, they get kicked out, they end up in very compromising situations where they're often either in some type of addiction cycle or being taken, taken advantage of otherwise. And so um, yes. high correlation of uh, LGBTQ teens and homelessness. And um, it's um, the biggest, the biggest variable is the family. And so um, yeah. in the work I do from a therapy standpoint, um, I've seen a little bit of both. I've actually worked with a couple where one, one of the partner's family was very supportive, the other was not, and you could see it play out uh, in their relationship. And so um, yeah, the family's a big deal. And so, um, um, so how did your family um, wrestle with their religious beliefs and your um, sexuality? Yeah, um, well, I was uh, in when I had came out, um, which I was actually outed by someone in my church on my congregation. Mm. So it wasn't my choice at that time. Um, I was removed of my of my path towards ministry. I had been going uh, to be the president of the youth count, youth council for our congregation and uh, was very, very uh, doing my campaign and had won, but was told that I was an, I was unable to do it. so. It was, um, I would say for family, it was, it was difficult because um, I, I've always learned to like uphold my family's uh, ideas and, and opinions and authority in, in the church in a specific way. Um, and so it was, it was extremely hurtful. Um, mm. And I don't believe, I don't know if they, you know, I don't believe that anyone intended to hurt me, but um, the impact of, of that situation was extremely uh, detrimental to me and, and extreme, made me extremely suicidal for sure. Um, for years, I suffered. Oh, from that. yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to talk more about that because your path with your, with, between that tension between religious beliefs and accepting a child that's uh, not, or that's queer, um, is a struggle for many. So uh, we're up against our first commercial break. Um, you're listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Today, my guest is Zane Silva. He's a human rights activist, um, uh, trans male, and a public speaker, coach, and activi activist for the queer community. We'll be right back after this break. This is Toby Jenkins, founder of Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and host of Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy is a proud sponsor and supporter of Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. At Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy, we work with couples, families, and individuals walking with you through life's challenges and transitions. You can find out more about Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and request an appointment through telehealth or in person at www.jenkinscft.com. Dot com or by calling 859-806-0093. 
And we are back. You are listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Today, my guest is Zane Silva. And before the break, we were uh, talking about uh, the family that Zane grew up in. And um, this uh, kind of, well, probably a very severe tension between religious beliefs, your identity. And so, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, statistically, uh, the biggest factor for queer teens in particular is the acceptance of their family. Mm -hmm. And from a therapy standpoint, I've seen both. And the typical things that happen with uh, parents in particular that don't accept uh, uh, their child as they are. So um, sounds like that was a big issue for you. So um, uh, how, uh, I guess, how did that work for you uh, through the early years of uh, living at home and being in ministry on top of it? Uh, it was, it, it was, um, it was just kind of something that I, I didn't really tend to, I kind of ignored because I had been, I grew up in church my whole life. I've been teaching Bible school since I was, or assistant teaching since I was nine. Um, I've been doing, uh, any kind of form of ministry, uh, my whole life pri- prior to even believing in God. Uh, I started believing in God when I was 16. So, um, it, it was a part of our every day. Like it, it, it was just a part of our life. We, we followed the rules and we um, went to church and uh, God was first in every single thing. And, and that's how my entire family runs their lives. Um, so it, it was hard to, the, the hardest part for me was, was going to my parents and saying, I know that you've prayed for me your whole lives. I know that you've prepared this path for me, but this is, this is what it is. And um, I'm, I will not, it will not be following what you have had for me or had planned for me. Wow. And it, it was extremely difficult because they just, um, you know, they speak Spanish first uh, mm. mostly. And so um, it, it was a language barrier in terms of speaking about hormones or, or anything like that. Uh, so I, I would just say it as basic as I could was I, I feel like my brother or like, I'm going to take medicine to be like my brother. And, and um, th- those conversations were, were hard. Uh, you know, because you, like I said, when you're, especially when you're a parent in the faith, um, you not only believe you have a path, but God has one. And so you've mm-hmm. accepted that. And uh, I think for the child to go against everything that you've probably prepared for, it could, could be extremely shocking. And, and I was trying to be very empathetic towards that with my parents. Um, yeah, so you mentioned you were outed by, uh, uh, by a member of your church. And I'm assuming they went to your parents or the pastors with some the information. Pastors. Okay. Um, and, and so, yep. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, tell me more about being outed. Because, <laughs> you know, that's one thing I encounter. Um, you know, it's, I always say, you know, you know the, I think one of the things that heterosexual people take, uh, take for granted is you never have to come out. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. Right. It's something I don't think heterosexual uh, people think about. Yeah. I came out as heterosexual y'all. Uh, I was 19. <laughs> you don't have to you know, think about it. Um, yeah. and so from the work I've done, um, there are huge consequences for not being able to come out on your own terms. And it sounds like you were not able to come out on your own terms. So, um, oh, so I wasn't. Someone in your church went to your parents, um, and then after that, um, you know, I, you talked about kind of not being in, not being able to continue 
on the religious path you're on in terms of ministry. But um, yeah. your parents' initial response, uh, what, how did they initially respond to uh, you being outed? So, so the person outed me to my pastor, um, and uh, it was through a letter that, uh, you know, that had shared information. I, this person was a mentor of mine since I was about 13 and had shared information that I had shared since I was 13 years old, um, almost like recording my conversations with them oh, wow. in private. Um, so it was, it was very, very difficult because I was, this was the first time I was running for something. I was running for a position that was highly respected amongst the youth. Um, and I was also pastor's family. So everyone knew who I was. They knew what I was mm -hmm. doing. Um, my parent, I, the, my pastor respected me in allowing me to share my own, uh, identity or trials with my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, initially I was kicked out the first time, uh, the, the first time I had mentioned it after speaking to them a little bit, um, I was able to stay, but, uh, it just, it caused a, a big, um, a big disconnect, uh, within mm. me and my family, even though I thought, even though I know they knew that I was, um, like in their minds, I had identified as a lesbian or like that I was dating women. Um, I think being trans was just, uh, the cherry on top. It just was something that was not. I don't think they understood or wanted to accept in that moment. So you'd openly dated women, females at that time, and they were somewhat okay with that. Was that something you were open about or just kind of, kind of kept? Hitting? I wasn't open. Yeah, no, I, no, I, I had denounced, I had denounced my uh, sexual behavior, which would be, which was me saying that I would be in this ministry and I would uh, be a leader in this church. Um, and although I recognize that my trial is that I, um, I, I guess I identify as les as lesbian because I like women. I was like I, I will not participate in any sexual activity. But um, I was I on the inside I was incapable of doing that, and that was that was why the person um, out at me was because they found out that I was dating someone. Gotcha. You know, I yeah. as a fellow believer, I have come to not understand that position of um, the, the church takes with the queer community in terms of, uh, I would sum it up as love the sin or hate the sin. Um, yeah. And that still doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it denies the person of loving someone else. And so, I mean, part of that. Yeah. <laughs> it denies the sinner's identity. So you're essentially, you know, <laughs> you're essentially invalidating their their person. Yeah, and then essentially you're sentencing them to, um, or say or advocating a life of not being in relationship, um, or yeah. forcing a heterosexual relationship. Um, and I've never quite wrapped my mind around that. Um, uh, now, admittedly, yeah. let me put it this way: um, I have, I too have evolved quite a bit in my understanding of it. And now on the backside of that evolution, that, that I can't wrap my mind around. Um, Cause I do believe we were made to be in relationship and connect to others. Um, yeah. But uh, that part um, is uh, uh, still, I don't, now I quite can't, I don't, well, I guess to say it differently, I can't see how that's a loving position. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also dogma, you know, these are yeah. man, very, you know, I don't believe that Jesus 
came and said, uh, let's control everybody's relationships. I think Jesus said, let's come and show love and, and show that these healthy relationships are possible. And so I think that we kind of took that and said like, well, let's create what we think is a healthy relationship, which is a heteronormative uh, cis one. And, yeah. you know, not understanding that they're forcing uh, sexual assault, uh, 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 you know, domestic violence. I mean, there's a lot of things that come into relationships with people that should not be in a relationship together. So, yeah. Oh, sure. Exactly. Um, so, you know, you mentioned earlier, and one of the things I, I brought, we brought up, talked about is, the, um, you know, from a mental health standpoint, especially, it's funny, uh, uh, this was the, the topic of uh, one of my lectures early this week, around when, between that combination, when gender uh, constancy sets in, and then those teenage years where sexual orientation become gets firm, and teenagers experiment and you know it's it's very difficult to do research on it um but that those teenage years in particular are the most difficult for uh for queer kids so you mentioned earlier um struggling a little bit with suicidal thoughts were there some other mental health uh kind of uh struggles you had through like your teenage years as you wrestled with this oh yeah i mean i was i i could i could say that i suffered from depression since I was probably about 11 years old mm. um, because I didn't understand what my difficulty was with uh, reckoning that um, I was getting identified as a lesbian. I had not, I did not feel like a lesbian uh, at all and um, not understanding what trans was. I was extremely confused. I thought that I was, you know, going against God's will or going against even just uh, science. I was like, you know, if I'm a if I'm a girl and I like girls, that makes me a lesbian. So hmm. not being able to find an identity caused a lot of confusion for me um, just in dating and definitely uh, pay the path of, of things that I didn't want to do, like dating men or, or doing at that hmm. time, I, I would do it um, or just trying or denouncing my sexuality in general. So um, it was, yeah, it, it, it was pretty difficult during my teenage years. And I would imagine you didn't have a whole lot of people to talk to uh, about it either in the religious no, environment you grew up in. Yeah, no, yeah. nobody, not in church, not in school. Um, even, I mean, even in, even just 10 years ago or 11 years ago, um, it, you, you know, there wasn't trans uh, uh, visibility in high schools. That was something that people made fun of. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Do, I mean, <laughs> um, not only make make fun of, but um, physically assault, um, yes. yeah. bully, um, yeah, all those things. Um, yeah. So that had to be a really lonely period in your life. Uh, and you often see uh, um, teenagers suffering in silence, uh, so to speak, which makes it even worse. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. you don't even know how to, you don't know how to address it. If no, if no one has the education around you, how could you address that? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one thing. Um, I have teenagers and they are well more, they're, they're um, very much more uh, educated and open to um, sexual orientation, uh, gender yeah. presentation, um, then, I mean, leaps and bounds compared to where I was when I was teenager um which yeah. to me uh offers hope um and um you know i, I think about my, my daughter who's 17 and uh, she's got a number of friends who um are pretty gender fluid 
um, the trouble I have is they, they go by one name one day and I see them a couple months later and they want to be called something else. And I'm like, all right, just uh, let me know what to call you and we're, we're good. That's, that's I mean, that's even in our, I'm always struggling with that too. I'm like, <laughs> even, 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 you know, as an activist, I'm always like making sure I'm with their clients today. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, we're up against another break. Um, we're actually up against One Minute Insight. Uh, today, my guest is Zane Silva. He's the founder of Trans Alike, which is his platform to uh, advocate for uh, the trans community. And um, we're talking about um, the teenage years and the difficulty with being uh, non-hetero as a teenager. So <laughs> we'll be right back after this break. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You, and this is Woman Insight. I mentioned before that many therapists have a season of things that they don't invite that just seem to happen. Um, in the last couple of months, I've had a season of clients dealing with ambiguous loss. Now, ambiguous, ambiguous loss is what happens when you lose something and you don't have closure for it. And closure is very important. So in the worst case scenario, think of the uh, airline flight that went down in Malaysia. There were 270 people on that flight and their relatives were at the airport waiting for them and they never showed up. Matter of fact, they still haven't found the plane and it's been several years. So the survivors of the victims on that plane are experiencing ambiguous loss. And there are many different symptoms of ambiguous loss that are way different when you have closure on a loss. And I'll talk about some of those next. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. One of the biggest stresses that we encounter is money. Money issues strain our family life, create stress in our relationships, and can provoke serious anxiety and depression. And many don't know where to turn to get relief. That's where The Darius Norman Show comes in. The Darius Norman Show airs daily on WTTA FM 101.2 from 1 to 2 p.m. Darius Norman is a certified credit and financial counselor and author of Rewriting Financial Rules. It's his objective to empower others with educational tools and services to assist them in taking control of their financial and credit issues. Tune in to The Darius Norman Show on WTTA FM 101.2 and you can follow him on Twitter at The Darius Norman Show. We are back. You are listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Uh, today we are talking about uh, being trans in the United States and my guest is Zane Silva. So uh, when we left off, um, uh, you were talking about the process of being outed um, and then uh, essentially, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, being kind of separated from your family for a number of years. Yeah. So, um, so excommunicated, um, I don't know what kind of verb you or word you're going to put in there, but um, you were kicked out essentially. So um, how long of a period uh, was this uh, for you? So around, you were around 19 or 20, right? So like, where'd you go? What'd you do? Um, well, I was kicked out. So I lived with an ex-partner at that time. And um, I just bounced from ex you know, partner to friends or to any space. Um, and I, and I also went back to my parents' home 
and then uh, stood there until I I decided to move out. Then at that point, um, but yeah, I was I would say separated and not you know not physically like you know I I was allowed to go into any space, but I was definitely known as being put on discipline, which meant mm. um, that. I, uh, you know, could not participate in ministry, even if I attended, even if that was my home church and I attended, um, I wasn't allowed to uh, necessarily do um, anything that a, a normal member would be able to do if, if they had any desire towards uh, a path in, in the faith or in the church. Now, um, you know, that's interesting you bring that up. Um, th- there's another popular uh, treatment uh, churches have uh, supported throughout the years conversion therapy oh um, yeah <laughs> but so like like what what was the what from your point of view what was the purpose of the church doing that at that time um mm-hmm. i mean it sounds more like punishment than anything else yeah i yeah i yeah it is it is like punishment um from my understanding which was that was my same question I had spoken to another person that had experienced that um, over a fight, though they, they they had like a physical altercation in the church and they were put on discipline, which meant like they couldn't preach or they couldn't uh, be in the choir or they couldn't participate in things that uh, showed service. Um, I, 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 my understanding is that it's to test your faith, right? Like if you are being disciplined for something that you've clearly done wrong and you really feel remorse for it, and I'll use his example as a fight, something he clearly did wrong or whatever, um, then, um, you know, we would see, like, are, are you faithful during your discipline? Will you still keep attending or will you take this moment and break your relationship with God? And so I definitely think um, while I believe that a part of it was discipline, I also believe subconsciously it was conversion. It was attempting to convert me to, yep. you know, what they had believed was correct for my life. But um, I was very extremely opposed to that. And mm. I only attended the therapy about twice until I decided really? that I was no longer going. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and just for, for the record, um, was it last fall, the um, creator of conversion therapy uh, came out as uh gay himself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, you know and, and from a therapy standpoint uh the apa uh, has um deemed deemed that approach is uh not being uh statistically reliable yeah. um so it's banned by the apa um last time i checked it's not banned in all 50 states so it, it's still practiced oh, in a number of states practice. in the country you know but, but speaking of like treatment um the other con- the other condition that often gets um, associated with this is gender dysphoria, and so gender dysphoria is essentially feeling like you're not in the right body, yeah. and so some of what you describe sounds like that in those early years. And so, how did yes. you wrestle with that? I did. I I realized as I got older um, the the way in which I was identifying myself or or um, acknowledging that I had gender dysphoria was being online a lot. Mm-hmm. I uh, I definitely uh, would go on um, online platforms and uh, identify as male and and as characters or anything I did. I would cat. I guess you would say I would catfish uh, people and say that I was the male, and that was something mm-hmm. that I that was the way that I had realized I was, um, I wasn't feeling comfortable in myself, but I didn't know um, what, it, what it meant or I didn't know who to ask that I thought was safe. Yeah. Um, so this period of time, um, as you were kicked out, um, at what point did you, how did you go about deciding to transition um, from 
female to male? Um, I when I was turned when I was twenty four around uh, I would say it was the winter around the winter I was extremely suicidal. Um, I had realized I had reached a point that um, my dream to be in a church and to work with youth was not something that I was able to obtain. As a, a I was I was out as a trans person, but only online. So like on Instagram and Tumblr, but not with people that I knew in person because I knew that my family didn't support it or my friends might not have supported it. So um, one day I just woke up and I was uh, really upset and I figured, you know, I do believe in you, Christ. I believe in God, but you know, David in Psalms was always suicidal. Elijah was suicidal. So what's the difference between me and, uh, and someone else? How, how could that make it bad? You know, if I, if I no longer want to be here. And so I prepared myself to commit suicide the next day. Wow. And I got my knees and I prayed and I said, I need something very specific from you. And I said, and this is what's going to let me know that you are trying to save me because I'm going to ask for something very specific. I said, I, my main issue was that my mom did not accept me as trans. Mm. I, I, my dad, I, I was able to get over, but my mom was just, uh, she's just the person I love the most. And, um, to know that I was causing disappointment or dishonor to my family was a huge uh, guilt trip for me. And I specifically prayed saying, I want someone that I've never met before, that I've never seen before, that I would have never met um, or come in contact with to come up to me tomorrow within 24 hours and say to me that my mother will be okay with me transitioning. And if, she does, if they do not say that to me, then um, I know what I have to do. Uh, but I believe in a God that's greater than anything. And I said, if I make this request, I believe that you can do it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's <laughs> a very, I'm a very like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I think God, I think me and God have this relationship where I'm very much like Israelites coming, you know, like, I mean, Hebrews yeah. coming from, I'm like, give me bread, give me water, give me meat, like show me your miracle because I'm a very stubborn believer, to be honest. Wow. <laughs> That's a very specific request. Yes. Was, I can't I can't remember the Bible story. It's very much like uh if I lay this blanket out, there should be dew on the yeah. blanket. Nobody <laughs> That's exactly where I was at in my in my life. I was like, since if I, I, I believed in Christ, but I just was like, if I've seen, if I've heard these stories of, of the things that you have used as testimony to us to show you, to show me Jesus, who Jesus is, you can do it for me. You can, if, if you really, if this is my path, you will do it for me. I believe that. Um, so and, who was the person? How did that happen? <laughs> I'm always amazed how God works. So, so you're here. So the next, the next day, somebody approached you and talked to you. So I was, I was working um, the next day and it just so happened that we, um, at my place of work, there was a new manager that uh, nobody uh, really liked or anything. And um, I was standing there and I was wearing this necklace, which is a, a cross. Um, mm -hmm. And she came up to me randomly and introduced herself to me and was like, um, are you a Christian? You know, saw my necklace and I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And she's just like, that's really cool. I'm a Christian too. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And she was like, and I had a dream about you and I wanted no. to know if I could pull you aside. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I was like, um, okay, sure. You know, I didn't know what she was going to say. I thought she was going to like say something silly. Um, and so she pulled me aside and she was like, I know that we can't talk about this right now because we're at work. Um, so I wanted us to take a break real quick, but, um, 
She said, I had to come up to you because I had this really crazy dream. I, I don't know if you're going to feel offended or anything, but I don't know if you know what transgender means. Um, I, I, I don't, I know a little bit about it because of a personal experience, but um, I just want to let you know that, you know, God told me to tell you that uh, my son is transgender and I'm a Christian mom and I accept him and your mom will be okay. And I literally like broke down. I mean, it was, wow. it was the most unrealistic moment in my life. Yeah. That, that was definitely amazing. Yeah. And it was, it was really, it was really crazy because the person that had told me this, they're, they're Christian and their child thought that they were going to be against them. And so their child mm. moved away and transitioned and then came back and said five years later or three years later and said, Hey mom, I transitioned. So she got, as a parent, she missed that opportunity to be there for her child. And so mm -hmm. it really created a strong bond between us where we kind of, she kind of became like my adoptive trans mom and yeah. um, was very supportive in my life. And yeah, that day saved my life for sure. So I, I scheduled an appointment the next day. <laughs> no way. That, that is amazing. <laughs> but you know, it, it's, uh, gosh, the, the, the supernatural, um, w with what God does is just, uh, that's just amazing. Um, to ask for something that specific <laughs> and to get it the next day, that is absolutely amazing. Um, I'm still, I'm kind of speechless <laughs> that, wow, that's, a, that's incredible. Um, so the next day you said you, you, you were, we're getting close to a commercial break, but you know, we'll walk through what transitioning means because it's very specific yeah. and there are um, some very uh, specific steps. Um, and so quickly, uh, transitioning is essentially um, starts, well, you probably could probably talk about it because you've experienced it versus me talking about it, but um, it's the medical and hormonal process to uh, begin to transition to uh, the opposite uh, sex, not gender, we're talking sex. So um, when we come back, we'll get more into the details of, um, of the transition process. So um, you're listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. You've got mail. You've got mail. All right. Today's listener, listener mail comes from Nicole. Nicole writes, how much of my past relationship history should I share with my current partner? Oh, I'm, I learned this week, actually, just like two days ago from my girlfriend that uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you don't have to talk about it much. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm very much like, I have that same issue. I'm very much like, let me be vulnerable with you and tell and tell you like, why my traumas are linked together or, or what this is. And uh, I've learned that when you are in a new relationship, God has blessed you with a new relationship and new memories, new trials, new things to go through, um, which, which needs uh, a lot of space to build on. And um, as much as your past has been a huge influence in the way that you love and the way that you care about people, uh, it's something that was kind of intimate for you. And I think, um, I think that you can share your past by, uh, by loving your partner in the way that they need to show that you've learned what you've learned. So I would say not so much, only if they ask. <laughs> ah, okay. 
That's a good answer. Um, you know, I, there, there's probably a lot left out of this question because the first thing that came to my mind is usually kind of the stereotypical, like, what's your number kind of a thing, which oh, God, men, yeah. <laughs> men typically want to know, like, have you been out there too much, so to speak? And so, you know, my, my answer to that generally is um, I'd only answer if it helps, uh, helps your relationship. So like as a therapy tool, uh, one of the things that I use, especially when I work with couples is, um, like a, a history, like a relationship and sexual uh, relationship history. Cause one of the things I'm looking for from a therapy standpoint, um, one is if there's kind of intimate justice in the relationship, yeah. if there's a power differential in the relationship and if there are any traumas in the in previous yeah. traumas, previous or current, and so um, that, that can be kind of, uh, it, it depends on a relationship, but my generic answer is only as much as it helps to grow your current relationship um, and you have to feel comfortable. So if you were the partner where you feel like you might be judged or that might be held against you, um, don't share. And there might be an indication of, <laughs> of whether you should be in that relationship or not. So yeah. Uh, so hopefully, Nicole, we helped you. Um, good luck. Good luck, Nicole. Uh, we're back. You're listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. Uh, today, we are, my guest is uh, Zane Silva, and we are talking about um, uh, transgender, transsexual, the queer community. Zane is a, an activist, human rights activist uh, for the trans community. And so um, we're kind of stepping chronologically through, through Zane's uh, life here, and we're up to we're up to the point where I think there's a lot, there's a lot that people don't know about mm -hmm. the process of transitioning. So um, I was about to say, I'll tell you about it, but you experienced it. Yeah. <laughs> so watch yeah. it. So let, let's talk like, what is it? How does it work? How long does it take? What's involved? Yeah, I, it, it, there's, there's so much, but um, it, it takes a lot, especially depending on where you live. Um, I mean, I live in New York and there's still a certain process. So like I said, the next day I made an appointment and um, that appointment took two months to get to. So I made the new patient appointment. I had to wait two months. Um, in between that time, I had to see two therapists and get uh, notices saying that I was suffering from gender dysphoria. I was depressed um, and that I identified as trans. Um, I then going to the clinic, uh, you get an intake and they kind of um, assess you there quickly as well to make sure that you are making a decision that you know that you're making. Um, so you go through three approvals in terms of like, your mental health um, to see if you're you know, stable, which is like a really weird process because you're unstable, but they want to make sure you're stable. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then you go through a series of blood tests and stuff like that. In New York, it was a little bit easier. So after I went to the blood test, I was able to begin my hormones the very next visit. So um, it was this my second visit. It took about maybe almost two months together. Um, and that's because I wanted to physically transition, you know, that's, and that's just physical transition. That's not your social transition, which includes to your family, your friends, uh, your social media, your job. Um, then there's uh, your, just within yourself, the way that you present in, in society, how you are going about your gender expression. Um, so tra transitioning is very different for everyone. I, I wanted to go through physical transitions, but there are a lot of folks that are scared of needles or scared mm -hmm. of hormones, scared of surgery. And, and so that is, that is, that fear is a lot greater than 
how they look. So um, it's very specific to the individual um, because there could be a lot of things that I've probably haven't done that other people would say, oh, but I did that and maybe you should right. do that. But it's extremely individual, but it, it takes uh, for them for the mental health section, it, uh, that process is the hardest process uh, for anyone yeah. to go through because you're trying to convince people that while you're not okay, that you are okay to make this yeah. decision. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, hormones. Um, so physically, before you started this process, you were female with female mm -hmm. physical characteristics. The hormone you took was testosterone. Were there any others? And yeah, now what to testosterone. So now what does the testosterone do? Uh, well, it deepens my voice. Um, I have facial hair now, which I would, no one in my, no male in my family has facial hair. Mm -hmm. So that was strange. Um, it definitely like receded my hairline, which was the worst part. Wow. <laughs> I knew I was like, uh, I don't know if I would have done it. Um, uh, you get body hair. Um, your, sometimes your genitalia can even change uh, mm -hmm. depending um, you get a lot thicker. I was 120 my whole life. I am a solid 167 and I cannot move from that, unfortunately. Wow. Um, it, there a lot of, a lot of things happen. My, and, and I think one thing that happens a lot that, um, we do not have enough education around, and this is just, uh, chatting with other trans folks, um, is it, it changes your personality a lot. Um, I think that we, we don't realize it does. Um, but when you add depression and you add uh, testosterone, which like almost makes you stop crying and makes you angry and makes you horny and hungry and, <laughs> and you feel like you're a 13 year old boy and you're getting acne. And while when you're like 20 something or 30 something, um, it definitely changes the way that you behave uh, with people, loved ones, even with yourself. It changes a lot. <laughs> okay. So like um, more uh, aggression, more, and say more about yeah, that. You have to manage, yeah. You have to learn how to, how to manage everything that a, you know, 13 year old boy would begin learning at 13 versus <laughs> being 28 and having puberty of a 13 year old boy. <laughs> and there's still ongoing therapy with this as you go through this, right? Um, you can choose to do that depending on the state you don't have you can or you cannot like in New mm -hmm. York You don't have to do it. I just have to get I just have to make sure that I'm getting tested because Hormones are a controlled substance. They will not mm -hmm. give you more hormones than they believe that you need um, and uh, I think that you should just go to therapy just because you're 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 always constantly um, Going up and down, you know, I take yeah. my shot every two weeks at the end of the two weeks, I'm going through withdrawal and I'm, and then my testosterone levels are going low. So then I take it again. So every two weeks I am up and down, up and down. And every I will two be weeks. for the rest of my life. Yes. Okay. So rest of your life, you have to be on testosterone. And it's like, um, compared to the, um, the amount of testosterone that the, uh, a, a person born male would have in their body, how much is, how much are you taking? I probably like, have a little bit less than what they a little bit less. Yeah, I take we we take the same amount, um, dependent on our weight, dependent on our height. Um, mm -hmm. It's 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 never like a advantage. It's it's probably exactly the same or a little bit less. Okay, so every two weeks, hormone shot, um, yes. and we talked about like the physical characteristics and some of the uh, kind of psychological teenage aggression. So mm -hmm. then to, and you said there, there are various, uh, you know, how far you want to go. So there's, um, 
talk, let's talk about some of the other surgical procedures, uh, I guess is the best way to put it, um, that depending on how you want to, where you want to go with it. You could do top surgery. So I did top surgery. I did a double mastectomy, which is, you know, removing my breasts, mm -hmm. uh, which has left like two big scars across my chest. Um, there's also sex reassignment surgery that you can have, uh, which would be for trans men or for someone that uh, identifies as masculine, but would be, you know, removing of the forearm skin or removing of the thigh skin uh, to create a shaft. And for a trans woman or a femme identified person, that would be using the skin that is already there and inverting it and uh, creating a space for entry. Um, so these, uh, you know, and these uh, surgeries have, I, I would say for the femme identity, that surgery has been going on for a long time. For the male identity, it's definitely a newer surgery. And um, it's something that I, I believe we're still working on. I've seen a lot of success stories in, in every yeah. single way, which is great. But I think, yeah. you know, as we go on in general, we're learning more. Yeah. How about fertility um, for, for trans? Uh, yeah. for trans um, can, can you still get pregnant? Can you get someone pregnant? Yeah, so um, getting you would have to get someone pregnant. Uh, you would have to go through uh, IVF, probably for mm -hmm. uh, for trans and specifically. Um, uh, but yeah, we uh, we could carry if we don't have um, sexual reassignment surgery, which is SRS for short. Mm -hmm. uh, we are also, I think, in our community, even discovering like trans love and, and having biological children with one another um, and not having to go through any other source. Um, there, there are a lot of options that are, that are happening and it looks like healthcare is uh, trying to add us into egg freezing, IVF, mm -hmm. uh, and those kind of family planning uh, situations. Okay, cool. So like, so acronym wise, IVF is in vitro fertilization. Um, so yes. basic, and there are a couple different ver, uh, variations on that. Um, so that um, it basically, well, yeah, number of different variations on it, uh, of <laughs> artificial fertilization. Um, but um, so of these, uh, you know, you mentioned the social and the physical. Um, it sounds like I think you said the social part was the most difficult for you. I mean, it, when you were dropping yeah. like family job, <laughs> yeah. I was like, gosh, that's complicated. Um, yeah. In so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, you, um, um, it makes the news every now and then of um, like, how, like, how do you do that on your job? Like one day, I mean, how do you do that? It was, it was, yeah, it was definitely a process I was learning. I was the first person in my work of place to do that, um, as I was told. And um, we, at my, at my old space, um, I had 800 peers. So there was mm. 800 people that I had to come out to. And um, that was 800 opportunities, you know, times the 12 average interactions you have a day that I was getting misgendered. And so mm -hmm. it was extremely like psychologically uh, torturing. Um, it, it takes a lot for you to do that. You definitely have to put yourself out onto a spotlight, um, depending on where you work and, and just hope that you have the resources. So for me, um, just understanding business and my rights, I, I definitely focused on um, the HR aspect of it, contacting mm -hmm. HR, understanding what that meant. Um, I, I, I tried to cover my rights in every kind of way that I came out first, just because I knew for a fact that it was going to be difficult. And um, I wanted to protect my job and my safety at the same time oh, while doing sure. that. So yeah. it was, it was 
it was something to navigate. And I think we're still learning that um, even in, you know, companies like Google or, or large companies that promote inclusion diversity. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I want to, we're close to another break, but I want to circle back and talk about the gender dysphoria. Um, people can experience gender dysphoria as young as five or six, because that's when we start. Uh, and it's interesting, there have been some uh, studies trying to figure out, is it nature or nurture? But there's some definite things that parents do in terms of, you know, the pink, the blue, um, we start treating girls and boys differently early on. And then um, from a socialization standpoint, uh, children start identifying around three or four. And so um, there have been cases um, of children as young as like five or six um, with gender dysphoria. And so um, puberty is a big deal. And one of the stories that made the, um, I think that really brought this out to the mainstream was, um, gosh, now I can't remember her name, but she was yeah. born. I was thinking of her jazz. I am jazz. Yeah. Uh, I am jazz. Yes. Three, she was able to do it. That's what I'm saying. It's very young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my, my sister is a teacher in North Carolina and a couple of years back, uh, in her elementary school, um, they had a student now here, another example where the kids are cool with it. It, it was, it was the adults that were kind of freaking out, didn't know what to do. <laughs> And so um, um, the kids, fine, but they were going to transition over winter break, right? And so, um, and ultimately, the parents, uh, parents and adult teachers backed off of it. But gender dysphoria as young as five or six, um, and you really have to make a call around puberty uh, yeah. if you want to make the decisions around hormone treatment, because once the puberty process starts with the hormonal right. development, you're kind of down a path. And one of the things yeah. I was going to ask you, like, is your, is the physical part reversible for you? No. Right. Okay. I'm not at this point. Yeah. So that's why like with kids, um, you have puberty is kind of the cutoff time, but, um, wow, this has been an awesome discussion. Um, join us next week for part two of my discussion with Zane Silva and his platform of activism and his journey, uh, through gender transition. Show.com. You can find archive shows and additional details about guests of the show at the show's website, www.paradigmradioshow.com. You can follow weekly one-minute insight posts on the show's Instagram and Twitter feed at Paradigm Radio Show. For archived episodes, you can find episodes wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify.
Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You is brought to you by Jenkins Professional Services and Hype Media Global. Thank you for tuning into Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You with Toby Jenkins. Join us again.